We have uh, two scripture passages this evening. Um, the first is not actually going to be Luke 1, 26 to 38. It's going to be Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. That can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1,864. 1,864. Hear now the word of God. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. And since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he held, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Our second passage is Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,756. 1,756. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. We're also going to be looking at Lord's Day 14. It can be found in the back of your Psalter hymnals on page 20. Lord's Day 14. 21, that is. Psalter hymnal, page 21. Lord's Day 14. We can read the answers together with one voice. What does it mean that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? That the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took to himself, through the working of the Holy Spirit, from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, a truly human nature, so that he might become David's true descendants, and all things like us, his brothers, except for sin. How does the holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? He is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness, he removes from God's sight my sin, mine since I was conceived. 
Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us to see the truth of your word, the power of it. Help us to know how it benefits us when the Christ was incarnate on the Virgin Mary. To know how that impacts our life even today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A long time ago, there ruled uh, in Persia a wise and good king. He loved his people. And because he loved his people, he wanted to know how they lived, how they experienced living in his kingdom. And so he often would dress in the clothes of a working man or a beggar and go to the homes of the poor. And no one whom he visited had any idea that he was their ruler. It's a bit like the show that we watch today called Undercover Boss. One time he visited a poor man who lived in a cellar. And this poor man shared with him his coarse food. And he spoke cheerful, kind words to this poor man. Then he left. And later he came and he visited the poor man again and he told him, hey, I'm your king. The king thought the man would surely ask for some gift or favor. Maybe help him get out of the cellar that he's living in. Maybe help him get into a nicer place. Whatever it may be. But he didn't. Instead, this poor beggar said, you left your palace in your glory to visit me in this dark and dreary place. You ate this coarse food I had. You brought gladness to my heart. To others, you have given your rich gifts, but to me, you have given yourself. And I think that this story encapsulates to some degree the tremendous mystery, the tremendous gift that we have in the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. The title of the sermon tonight is in the flesh, it's a bit uh, of a play on words because oftentimes when we talk about people visiting, we say they've come in the flesh, you know, as in they're truly present or truly there. But in the flesh is really actually the definition of the word incarnate. It's a Latin word. It means in, carn means flesh, incarnate, enfleshed. So what we're talking about tonight is what Christ's incarnation brings to us, what it gives to us, and and how, just like that poor beggar in the kingdom of the Persian king, um, how great it is to have Christ himself. So our theme this evening is this. The virgin birth... gives us a compassionate Savior and a perfect mediator.
compassionate Savior, a perfect mediator. And that's going to be our two points. So let's look first at compassionate Savior. And this we're going to be looking at that passage from Hebrews. And we're also going to be focusing on a question, a question and answer 35 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Question and answer 35 says, what does it mean that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? Remember, where we're at in the catechism, we're breaking down line by line or verse by verse or phrase by phrase the Apostles' Creed. We confess the Apostles' Creed tonight. And when we confess the Apostles' Creed, we said of Jesus that he was born, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. But we need to understand what does that mean? What does that mean for us? And what the Catechism says is, is that the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took to himself, this is a very careful phrase concerning the incarnation of Jesus Christ, took to himself from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary through the working of the Holy Spirit a truly human nature. A truly human nature. If we were to have read that passage from Luke, we would have read how Gabriel the angel came to Mary, said she was highly favored, and told her that she was going to bear a son. And she asked, how could this be possible that I have not known a man? And Gabriel, the messenger of God, said, the Holy Spirit will come over you and overshadow you, and you will conceive. This is not talking about a, a fleshly experience. What is happening in the incarnation is the power of the Holy Spirit and the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary coming together to create fully God, fully man, uh, Jesus Christ, the God-man. When the, old, uh, the early church was trying to figure out how to describe this, this incarnation, what they talked about was how Christ took to himself a truly human nature. And he uses this phrase, reasonable soul, to describe the aspect of a truly human nature. Fully God, fully man. It's what's happening in the incarnation. But what I want us to grasp is how this has brought us or given us a compassionate Savior. And that's what Hebrews chapter 2 is speaking of. Hebrews chapter 2 is writing to the, the audience, a bunch of Jews are considering going back to the Old Testament ways. And when it's arguing that there's nothing to go back to, one of the things it states is that Jesus has become the perfect high priest, perfect and final high priest. And part of his argumentation concerning Jesus' perfectness when it comes to being a high priest is that he is human. In verse 10, the author of the book of Hebrews says, and bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom, 
everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Christ was perfected through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Did you ever think about that? Well, you could say brothers and sisters, of course. That Jesus is not ashamed to call you brother. That Jesus is not ashamed to call you sister. I want us to think about the fact that there are maybe even some people that we consider brothers and sisters in Christ that we may be ashamed to call brothers, sisters. But Christ, the incarnate Christ, the God-man, is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He is our brother in humanity. When you think about the genealogy in Luke, it goes all the way back to Adam. The book of Hebrews then quotes from Psalm 22, the messianic psalm of Jesus saying, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. This is Jesus declaring God's name to us, his brothers. In verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We have flesh and blood, so Christ had flesh and blood. But not only did Christ have flesh and blood, he has a reasonable soul, just like us. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful, compassionate, you could say, faithful high priest in service to God, make atonement for their sins. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. When I say here, compassionate Savior, what I mean is that because Christ is human, he is shared in the human experience, and because he is human, he can relate to us. It's what theologians call the imminence of the transcendent, the closeness of the Almighty God. We read Hebrews chapter 2 and we don't realize the weight of it. We don't realize the majesty of it. We don't realize the beauty and the comfort of it. Verse 18 says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. This is talking about Jesus, who is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He suffered, was perfected by his suffering He was tempted. And because of this, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Because of this, he is able to be compassionate to those who suffer and who are tempted. For his brothers, 
for his sisters. This is what the end of the answer, question 35, points to. What does it mean that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? He took on a truly human nature. He became David's true descendant. And all things like us, his brothers, except for sin. Christ is only able to help us and to relate to us, those of us who suffer and those of us who are tempted. Christ is only able to help us because he himself has not fallen prey to the temptation that he underwent. But because he is without sin, he can be that perfect high priest that Hebrews is speaking of. A truly human man who can represent us. Our compassionate Savior who understands us. Who's come down to our level. It's sort of like the grandma voice that we have for our little grandchildren, little grandbabies, right? Little kids. That's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Stoop down so that he can relate to us. He can understand us. He can be compassionate because he is one of us. He's more than that, but he is one of us. He's the perfect mediator. Let's look at that point together. We could have we could easily have used that passage. Um the mediation of the holy or uh, the high priest is um, what Hebrews is talking about. Um, but we're going to jump over to Romans chapter 8 to discuss this idea of mediation or this idea of having someone who saved us from, no, not 34, 36. Saved us from our sin. But in order to, to grasp this, I'm going to have to do a little bit of um, a little bit of translating here. I don't think the NIV helps us here um, in its translation work, uh, not in this situation. Um, so, reading in Romans eight chapter Romans chapter eight verses one through four. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the flesh. Right there it says flesh. Instead of sinful nature in the, in the original text. In the original Greek. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the flesh. In the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh 
in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Our sermon tonight is titled, In the Flesh, because what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 8 is a mediating work accomplished by Jesus Christ. So, here Paul is using the, 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 uh, the phrase or the concept of the sarks or uh, the flesh, which often represents um, sinful nature, right? Um, but the, the play on words is lost here when we um, translate it into sinful nature so that we can read it in that way. Um, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the flesh. So in our flesh, we're unable to keep the law, right? God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man. So because we could not keep the law in the flesh, Christ came in the flesh to keep the law. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned it. But not in us, but in Jesus Christ. Who took on flesh so that sin could be condemned in him. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So Christ becomes our mediator only because he is in the flesh the one who kept the law on our behalf. And in the flesh the one who was condemned on our behalf. Christ is our perfect mediator because as man he was obedient to the law which we were unable to do. Christ is the perfect mediator because as man he can be punished for sin in the flesh. Because mankind is the one who deserves the punishment, right? And is that not what the catechism tells us concerning Jesus Christ? That he must be fully God and fully man for this reason. And the virgin birth gives us a perfect mediator because Christ, in taking on the human nature, becomes human, but it remains to be God, true and eternal God. That's why it says here in question and answer 36, how does the holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? It says, he is our mediator concept of mediator is someone who is between, right? Someone who goes between. He is our mediator with his innocence and perfect holiness. His innocence because he kept the law. His holiness because he did not sin. He removes from God's sight my sin because he was condemned in the flesh. My sin since I was conceived.
He's a perfect mediator because he is a perfect savior. We don't often think of the redemptive work of Christ, but that even while he was a baby, he was being the perfect baby that we were not. He had to be perfectly obedient even as an infant, a child. He had to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, and that's in every stage of our lives, including infancy. You had the perfect infant mediator, the perfect toddler mediator, the perfect teenage mediator. My sons are 13 now. Can you believe that? Perfect young adult mediator, perfect adult mediator. Christ lived for us, died for us, and now he, because of his holy conception, because of his birth, stands now as a man, physical, in the presence of God, saying, this is the humanity that you now see. Because sin was punished in me, it is not punished on those whom I died for. Because of Christ's perfect innocence and perfect holiness. Before God's sight, our sins, sins since our infancy, our conception, have been removed from us. The virgin birth gives us a compassionate Savior who understands us, who relates to us, who stoops down to us, who is compassionate and merciful toward us, who has suffered and been tempted like us, who though was without sin. And because he was without sin, he is our perfect mediator, the one who in the flesh kept the law, in the flesh was condemned on our behalf so that in his perfect holiness and righteousness he can die for our sins and stand in the place of our sins and be the one whom God sees on our behalf. These are the things that we have been given in the virgin birth. This is what Christmas is all about. It's about God becoming a little babe. It's about the transcendent becoming imminent for us, for our sake, for our benefit. Do you see that? Do you grasp that? Do you cling to that in faith? Knowing that because Christ became a man, because he was, because he took to himself a human nature, that we have a compassionate Savior who calls us brother, who calls us sister. And we have a perfect mediator who stands now in the presence of Father God. And removes from his sight, God's sight, our sin, the sin since we were conceived. How great it is to have 
our Christ in the flesh. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your blessing. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that in your eternal wisdom, in your divine decree, you saw it fit that your Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, would in due time be born the Virgin Mary, incarnate the Holy Spirit, that we would have an in-the-flesh Savior who is compassionate, understanding the human experience, understanding what we go through, and who can be our perfect mediator. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.